And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Use that promo code DNVR20. You'll get 20% off your entire purchase. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on this episode, uh, we're going to mostly be doing one fun exercise that I threw out on Twitter the other day that's going to... I think wrap up our conversation on the sort of all-time Rockies team or history of Rockies meets current Rockies, all of that stuff, at least for now. We'll see how much of it uh, we can do in the future if we manage to get some of these Sims going, and I'll talk to you guys a bit more about that at the end. But really, the the thing I wanted to get into and the reason why this can be uh, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast today, but still most of our conversation uh, is because the question was this. I threw it out on Twitter the other day. I got a lot of responses. I want to go through them. I want to give some of my own thoughts on it. And, and, and here we go. The question, if you could take any former Colorado Rocky and put them on the current Colorado Rockies, who would you take? And I love this conversation for... A lot of reasons, because I think there are a number of different ways to go about it. In fact, I think your answer to this question may reveal as much about you as it does about the Colorado Rockies or uh, the current Colorado Rockies team. There's a lot of different ways to take it. And and as I've read over the responses, uh, you know, I, I, I think of them sort of in these broad general categories, right? One is that you just take the best, whoever you think is the best player in the history of the Colorado Rockies. And there were a lot of people in here uh, who did that, who, you know, I'll go through the list real quickly. Uh, I'll do just some of the names. Susan, Scott, Larry Walker, easily Larry Walker. A lot of people going with that Uh, sports tweet etc or something or tweeter cut um i don't know says larry walker and it isn't even close uh there were a lot of that for the people for whom this was not difficult uh there seemed to be two main answers walker and helton darren says walker and helton are easy choices uh but he kept going back to ellis burks and center field we'll talk about some of those other ones here in a minute but adam came in with larry walker um a lot of people writing in Todd Helton. That's what we got from JLR and from Jerry wrote in Belton Helton. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good place to start. I think if, you know, the question is, especially if you're maybe more of a, a metrics person, maybe a bit more of a, a war oriented person, uh, you're, you're not going to care as much about you know, specific team needs, or, or maybe you, you're not even thinking about that. Like I, I did say, you know, who are you going to throw on the current Rockies? But the idea is the best player possible. And then we figure it out from there. 
I know a lot of people, most Rockies fans right now, aren't especially enamored with Daniel Murphy, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to make the argument that first base is the Rockies' biggest need, especially when you consider that Ryan McMahon is right over there ready to step in if Murphy's struggles continue, um, what have you, and that there are even a, a few decent first base prospects in the system or at least guys who can play first, like Colton Welker, Tyler Nevin. You know, in the event that Rodgers or Hampson takes over at second, uh, as we mentioned, McMahon at first. And so you've got options there. And I would say there's a similar argument to be made about Larry Walker in the outfield. Now, the Rockies' outfield isn't as strong in terms of its depth right now on paper as it has been in the past. Uh, A lot of that depends on how you view current Charlie Blackman and how long you think he will continue to hit. I think we all pretty much agree that his defense in right field isn't going to be, you know, maybe they'll move him to left, but wherever his defense is, it's not going to be great. Um, The people who think it's absolutely abhorrent, I would disagree with, but we may be splitting hairs there. You know, that's a conversation to be had, but how you feel about Charlie Blackman, and then whether or not we're taking into account the possibility of the DH coming, and then how much are we looking at the rest of the Rockies' outfield depth. Uh, As listeners of this podcast know, I am a believer in David Dahl, and of course there's a big, huge question mark that none of us really know the answer to, including Dahl himself, about the health there, but... Putting that aside, I think you've got a really, really, really good place to start your outfield with those two guys. And then a number of interesting candidates. Everybody knows I'm still a believer in Rymel Tapia, and I think he's at least a guy who's going to provide you uh, with above-average contact tool, and and he's going to come into his own defensively. And so... uh, While it's not locked down by any means the way, say, the left side of the infield at this particular moment is, the Rockies do have their their strengths in the outfield, and they do have guys, you know, depending on how you feel about Sam Hilliard and what what you think of Garrett Hampson's transition into the outfield, um, and and some of those other prospects that I'd mentioned before, their possibility to maybe transition into uh, a kind of left field I think Tyler Nevin or Colton Welker, for example, could probably pretty easily transition into the outfield and and, and play defense fairly well and and have their bat play. So would any of these guys be Larry Walker? Of course not, right? That's the old war conversation. Uh, What are you getting? If we're assuming kind of a peak Larry Walker, who's going to give you like nine war, which is more than you're getting from your outfield combined probably right now if, if Dahl is going to miss some time. But between Dahl and Blackman, you're going to get close to that number if both guys are healthy. Your outfield's really good if it's those three, that's for sure. There's a question about who plays center field. I think it's got to be Dahl. I think you move Charlie Blackman to left. You put Larry Walker in right. <clears throat> and uh, you're going to rake, that's for sure. And again, I don't think that that's necessarily the wrong answer. If if you're looking at it from a, a pure just who's the player out there who has the positive, you know, the ability to give the most positive impact in terms of raw war, it almost certainly is a prime 
Larry Walker. And if you feel like there's a slightly bigger need at first base or things fall together for the team a little bit better, if you slot in Helton at first, he's probably the next guy on that list that that you're going Helton for similar reasons. At his peak, he gave you a ton defensively. He gave you a ton, obviously, with the bat. And he would be an absolute difference maker in the lineup. Here's a spin on it where I think people started to get really interesting with it. We had a number of people. Let's see if I can find a few. I'm just sort of going through in no particular order and looking at these. But we had a number of people. And here it is, Mike, the Mizzou fan, who says, I will say Andres Galarraga, a right-handed power bat at first base, would counter the lefty bat. So now we're thinking a little bit more specifically about the team's needs, how it's constructed, and who would be the best fit. Because while I think both Walker and Helton are the best players in franchise history, no questions about it. They bring you elite skills on both sides of the ball. That's sort of a football phrase, but you know what I mean when I say it. And yeah, the, the, the argument could be that simple. But I think this is really interesting. And a number of other people came in for pretty much the exact same reason that with Galarraga, you've got a big right-handed power bat and this team could really use a right-handed power bat uh, to to go to basically balance out the lineup so you're going Dahl, Trevor, Charlie, Nolan, Galarraga and then you know back to to I don't know where you, where you go from there but the, the the balance there especially with the tough lefties in the division and then if we're assuming that, you know, I don't know, Murphy is still hanging around, you throw him on the bench or something like that, your your lefty-righty situation is a lot more well-balanced, and uh, Galarraga can obviously crush lefty pitching. And so I think that opens up an interesting argument for him. And Kitchen Master seemed to be on this whole situation because he went with either, or she, I don't know, went with either Bichette or Big Cat. Again, you, you got yourself a big right-handed power bat to throw into this lineup where um, Story and Nolan have basically had to carry that load of above-average right-handed hitter being the guys in the lineup over the last several years where everyone else who's been productive is a lefty. And, and other teams with good lefty starters and good lefty relievers have been able to take advantage of that. And now, if we want to go another level deeper on Okay, well, so this team that we're assembling, right, they're just going to go out there and play. We're adding one former Rocky to the roster. Let's assume that every other team in baseball is adding one former player to their roster, and then we're all going to go out there and play under current rules. Well, under current rules, relievers have to throw to at least three batters unless they're closing out an inning. And so in order to take... Uh, the most advantage of that from an offensive standpoint, staggering lineups is going to be that much more important. You don't want to have left, left, left set there for the opposing manager to go out and get his best lefty to face you in the seventh or eighth if that's when those guys are coming up. And throwing a bat like Dante Bichette or Andres Galarraga right into the middle of it, I would lean Galarraga if you're going to go that way. Much love and respect for Dante Bichette. Um, and I think he was a little bit under, I don't think he was terrible, terrible defensively, and he kind of had a reputation for being so, but he certainly doesn't bring a lot to the table defensively. You couldn't say, you know, out there and left, he's really going to give you a boost as well. Where Galarraga, while he wasn't Todd Helton 
at first base. He was absolutely a capable, in fact, I would even say an above average defender at first base. And so I think Galarraga probably has the better argument if you're going right-handed power, but you also don't want to give up too much defensively. And that does set up your lineup very nicely because, um, you know, where a guy like Walker or Helton, you've got to slot into two or three or four pretty much. And then it's, you know, what do you do with Story and and Arenado and Blackman? And, and that gets kind of weird and interesting. I, I feel like Galarraga does sink very nicely into the fifth spot in the lineup to serve as protection for if Charlie Blackman is batting cleanup um, and Nolan Arenado is batting second or or you flip that the other way around. But either way, I just think it's a really good fit. So as I sip on my Hot Peak IPA from Breckenridge, and I'm very sad that we can't go out to the farmhouse because we're just a little bit too far away to get some of their delicious food, some beer, Get $5 off of that thing with the DNVR promo code. Um, you know, I'm, I'm missing that we could be out there. If you can get out there, if you're close enough, uh, drive by the farmhouse. They've got pickup for you. As I said, you can get 5 bucks off there. They've got delivery going on, too. Uh, but I do have my beer in hand. I've got my Hot Peak IPA, and I am looking over my DraftKings Sportsbook because they got betting going on right now in the KBO. It's been incredibly fun play some small bets, have some skin in the game, watch these baseball games, get really into it, um, not really know what's going to happen, but it has been an absolute blast getting back into that world. The wait is finally over. DraftKings is the official betting partner of DNVR. They are bringing legal sports betting to Colorado And before you know it, even more of these sports are going to be back. We got UFC going on. uh, We got the KBO going on. NASCAR's right around the corner. All kinds of stuff coming up. And it sounds like sports are right around the corner to all the noise. Like those other things aren't sports. All of the rest of the sporting world is, is coming along as well. So. Make sure that you go and you sign up. It's not some offshore operation like other gambling sites. DraftKings is a legitimate sports book based right here in the United States. You can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever. You don't even have to lead Leave the house. Uh, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget to enter code DNVR. Get your sign-up bonus today only. At DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. All right, jumping back into some of the responses, uh, I, I think it's about time we got to immediately where my head went, and, th- and that's Brett, who said, 2010, you ball, though. I do think, not to uh, dismiss anything anyone else has said, uh, that this is the answer. At least this is this is my answer to this question. I think there are some other interesting ones we're still yet to come to, to jump into here, but I do think that pitching is just the most important fundamental key. Um, And I do think that 
Ubaldo Jimenez in 2010 is the most dominant pitcher the Rockies have ever had. But this did lead me down a couple of other interesting questions. And and I'll get back to Ubaldo, but let's throw all of these together. Because another person pointed out, and I really tried to make this work. I will say, I, I thought about wriggling my way into this answer in a similar way that the Andres Galarraga conversation and, and Bichette took place. And that's Jorge De La Rosa. I wish I could find the person who actually responded with prime Jorge De La Rosa. Now, oh, here we go. Chris says he never gets enough love, in my opinion. And I totally agree. And I wanted to go and find, and, and it's funny because in my mind, prime Jorge De La Rosa came in 2009. And that is the year in which he struck out more batters than he ever has before and had more individual dominating performances than he ever has before. But when you look at his like ERA and ERA plus, he was above average that year, but really by no stretch great other than those strikeout totals were pretty impressive. And he was doing it on a winning team. He was doing it in some big games and, and, and sort of as the second fiddle, if you will, at the time to Ubaldo Jimenez. But when I was looking through it, it turns out that prime Jorge De La Rosa is like 2013 when the Rockies were not that great. And uh, he wasn't as dominant. He, he went from striking out nine and a half batters per nine innings to about six per nine. And so it's, it's a really interesting case with De La Rosa. Now, I do think, again, if we're getting real specific and we're not just thinking like who'd be the most fun to add to the team, who's the most talented player in Rockies history, who gives you the most war? But if you're thinking like, okay, we got to go out and play now 162 or an 80-game season, and we're still in a division with the Dodgers and the Red Sox. What did I just say? Excuse me. With the Dodgers. Boy, I needed some sleep today. Uh, uh, the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, the Giants, Padres. This is what we're doing. These are the teams we got to beat. You know, it's not Maybe the divisions are different, but... If you've still got the Devon, the the, the Dodgers to contend with, uh, you want, if at all possible, quality left-handed starting pitching, and it, it, it's just going to be more valuable. So even a guy who's you know if he's um, got a four ERA over the course of a whole season, but he's death on lefties like a Jorge De La Rosa versus you know that three twenty ERA from Ubaldo Jimenez, but he walks guys and he gives up, you know, the home run here and there. I think it becomes a much more difficult question when you've got Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and uh, Jock Peterson and that whole lineup to deal with. And the the lefty can be that much more important. So can you make an argument for De La Rosa? I think so. I I think you've got to get a little bit creative about what his prime actually consists of. And, you know, since he wasn't as di- it, it's just very difficult. Like if you could take the strikeout rate from his 2009 year and put it on his run prevention from his 2013 year, then I think you've got a, a pitcher who makes sense. You throw him onto this team and he's the number one, right? And Marquez and Gray sort of slide down and you've got this dominating lefty at the top and you can really scare the hell out of those lineups that, that, that are stacked with the big, scary left-handed bats. That would be super fascinating. And then that led me to this thought, and this might be cheating, but of course, this has been a question we've been asking ourselves since 
you know, midway through last season. What if the one player that you could add to this current roster is 2018 Kyle Freeland? Now, no one took that answer, and no one should, because if you're you got your DraftKings sports book out a little bit, again, revealing a little bit about yourself. What do you gamble on? What do you what risks are you willing to take and what are you not? If you spent your magic wave of the wand on Kyle Freeland, you would probably ensure that the Rockies go right back to at the very least being in the wild card hunt, right? You put 2018 Kyle Freeland on this team. That's a guy with a mid two ERA an ability to just consistently just basically get you a quality start 90% of the time he takes the hill, right? You put that guy on this team, you put him on last year's team, they're going to be much better. And we know that because we've seen the difference very starkly recently. But you're probably not going to use your magic wand on that, even if you hadn't considered it. Now that you have considered it, because there's the possibility that at 26 years old, some version of that happens without the magic wand, right? We're all kind of assuming. So if you could put De La Rosa or Ubaldo Jimenez in their prime on the current Colorado Rockies and then get some kind of resurgence of Kyle Freeland, which is still very much a possibility in the cards, you want both of those things. And so, well, well, I thought it was interesting for a minute. I was like, one of the answers, one of the safest answers to this question, honestly, would be to take the version of Freeland we just saw and and get him back. Um, And that, honestly, that might be more, like, uh, let's take it the other way. Let's say Freeland doesn't get it back and he just continues to struggle. Then, Then you will have wished you had used your magic wand to fix Freeland because putting 2018 Freeland on the roster would be more effective than putting 2013 Jorge De La Rosa and probably more effective than putting 2010 Ubaldo Jimenez on the roster. The The question is, do you roll the dice and think you're going to get a better Freeland anyway? And now you've got a rotation of Jimenez, Marquez, Gray, Freeland is in the fourth spot with an opportunity to really bounce back. You could you could dominate with that. Um, and so I think that is the reason why I would choose Ubaldo Jimenez because to me that gives the Rockies their scariest potential starting rotation. But I also think, again, with Marquez and Gray in there, and, and now you've got Freeland as the only lefty, you give Jorge De La Rosa a good long look in that whole equation. And, and as much as, you know, I think Aaron Cook and, and other guys could at least belong in the conversation, I do think those are the two starting pitchers who really would make the most sense. Josh came in with Pedro Estacio. I got no problem with that. I did see some people bringing up some funny ones, uh, Jeremy Guthrie. One person mentioned Mike Hampton. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, especially in an offensive era with the juiced ball. And if we're talking peak, because people forget that for his first at least six, four, I don't know, four to six months, I don't know, his first season in Denver, as I'd have to look it up again. But to my recollection, Mike Hampton was at least really good for one year. (laughs) So if we're taking peak Hampton, then you get not a great pitcher, but a pretty good starter who could slot in probably third in this rotation if we're assuming Freeland's 
struggles continue. Fourth, if Freeland gets it back. But then you've also added a bat, <laughs> right? You might hit seven home runs and, and a good base runner. And it is interesting the package you get with Mike Hampton. So I wasn't sure if that person was uh, joking or not, but uh, not nothing. Uh, there were a few interesting ones in here that, uh, you know, I didn't get much explanation for. Mitch went with Corey Dickerson. I, I can't say that I agree, but I, hey, in a juiced ball era, he gonna, he gonna rake. Um, then there were a few people who were tempted to go with, uh, some recent members of the team who are no longer on the team. And I understand, uh, this temptation as well to go with Tom Murphy when the Rockies have a need at catcher and DJ LeMahieu when he did so well in New York, I, I, st- I don't think the Rockies have a need at second base at all. And I do think that's a little bit of that's hard overhead. Uh, but I also have, I have no, no problem with you. If you've got a major heart uh, attachment to DJ LeMahieu, uh, you probably should. And, and I, I do think, I mean, if you just threw him right back on the team and, say, slid McMahon over to first, I do think that makes the team better. I, I wouldn't argue against that. But I don't think it has the kind of impact that uh, any of the other players that we've already discussed would have. And 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 you all know, you know, I've, I've maintained that through his departure the entire time and through his all-star, nearly MVP campaign with... New York, that for however well he was doing and for however poorly the Rockies were doing, the two things are, were not related. DJ LeMahieu can't pitch, uh, at least not at the major league level. Uh, he, he's a better hockey player than he is a pitcher. And so I don't, I, I just don't think that DJ helps solve the Rockies' problems and I, uh, the biggest ones anyway. And so, he, so here's another example. So a couple of people mentioned primetime. Troy Tulowitzki. Now, my first reaction to this is as much as, again, going back to the Walker Helton, like from a war standpoint, that's the guy who's probably in third in that conversation, maybe even in second over Helton, depending on how you feel about first base and shortstop and how much value you can bring defensively. But obviously, the Rockies don't need to replace their current shortstop. But if you're willing to get creative with it, Trevor Story can play second base. I know I've seen him do it, and he can play second base at an extraordinarily high level because he's good enough to play shortstop. His footwork would probably take a minute to get worked out, but if you wanted to get creative with it, you could give an extraordinary boost to the team's offense and defense by putting a prime of his career healthy Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop, sliding Trevor Story over to second base and then doing whatever you want at first with McMahon, Murphy, Desmond, whatever, right? If that's your, your combination, whoever you feel best about. But I think that accomplishes more, far more of what the, the concept of bringing DJ LeMayhew back would do, which was is basically just raise the floor at second base, where I think McMahon is going to come into his own and, and could ultimately even be a better baseball player than DJ LeMahieu. In fact, I think there's the odds of Ryan McMahon becoming a better ball player than DJ LeMahieu over his career are fairly good. I, I would take the over if, if that was an option in my DraftKings sports book. You know, I, I would be, if it's, I don't know what it would be, career war. Uh, I would 
think that McMahon will accrue more over his career than LeMahieu will. And, you know, and you can still slide him over in at first base, but for a position player standpoint, you know, like I said, I think that's some, some hard overhead, but there, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and it's, you know, the Murphy argument, you know, if you really wanted to go back and say, you, you take one prime catcher and put him on here, you go with Jeff Reed, who put up like a five, 4.5 war randomly in like the late nineties. Um, I just don't think there are good options here at catcher. Um, if you believe that Murphy has really figured out how to catch up there in Seattle, then uh, I can understand that argument. I don't, um, but I've just always been of the mind that, uh, you know, the, the catching needs to be a defense first position and Tony Walters is substantially head and shoulders far and away a better catcher than is Tom Murphy. And so while I know people want to see better hitting numbers out of that spot and it gets frustrating to see those low batting averages and OPSs and like two home runs in the season and, and all of that, I just think especially at Coors Field, um, you, you've got to be defense first, second, and third. You've got to find ways to help your pitchers get outs. And I, I think Walters does that well, and certainly well enough that if I was looking for ways to improve the team, given everybody who's played for the Rockies in their history, I probably wouldn't even consider a catcher. Um I'd leave Walters there because the the upgrade over him just isn't going to be big enough versus the upgrades you're going to get in a few other places. Now, there's one area we haven't touched on. And speaking of touching on things, you got to know it's not a Manscaped ad, though. You know, if you're going to get Manscaped. But if you like touching on your phone to play some games like I do and you enjoy golf or just relaxation or fun, you got to check out WGT Golf, the most realistic and popular free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world you can play closest to the hole or full stroke play on world famous golf courses including pebble beach beth page black saint andrews and more you can challenge anybody here on the dnvr staff other members of the dnvr community uh we've had already one super awesome and fun wgt tournament uh, presented by top golf by the way those guys are the absolute best if you've ever been down there you know what i'm talking about uh but yeah we're gonna be having these make sure you join our uh clubhouse that's not what it's called i keep forgetting our country club the dnvr country club find us on there you can come chat you can challenge us to some games you can hang out uh, it's a whole lot of fun you can get it totally for free on your laptop or phone let us know if you're having some fun with it uh, so i did want to close out here uh, a few people brought up relievers and i was honestly surprised by how few again uh, i guess the question when i ask you know where does your mind first go if it's get the most war you can on the team you're almost certainly not going to go for a reliever uh, if you're going to kind of do what my brain did, which is pitching is the most important, what's the most important position on the diamond? It's the starting pitcher. Who's the best starting pitcher at their prime in franchise history who you could put out there once every five days to really give a boost to your team winning the ball games? It's Ubaldo Jimenez, um, and the Rockies don't have a rotation that's so good. Nobody has a rotation that's so good that they couldn't afford to take their best pitcher in franchise history and put him on to 
their starting rotation. That would be the answer for probably 90% of the teams in baseball. It's just whoever was our best starting pitcher. But here, again, if we're looking at the way the team is currently constructed, and if you're like me, and you believe position player-wise, they're fine at worst. And starting pitching-wise, they're a big question mark that could be anywhere from frustratingly mediocre to bad to well above average and actually quite good with John Gray and Harman Marquez continuing to be some of the best pitchers in franchise history and Kyle Freeland jumping back to join them in that conversation. Then it really just leaves you with the two question marks at the bottom, right? And most teams can figure that out. You get league average guys there. If your top three are good to great, you'll be fine. So where is the real need in this team? If you don't believe, it's more likely to me to not believe in Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, and the collection of youngsters even of like Yancey Almonte, Jesus Tinoco. You know, there's just, there are so many question marks there. I can understand if somebody said to me this. There's one guy in the Rockies bullpen that I trust right now, and his name is Scott Oberg. Now, I would say... More often than not, I think if you throw Carlos Estevez out there, like, yeah, there's times he's going to have a bad, like almost any reliever, there are times he's going to have a bad inning and he's and it's going to implode and it's going to look bad because he throws 100 miles an hour. And if you watch right over the middle of the plate, the guy's going to hit it 500 feet and that's going to be frustrating. But I think Carlos Estevez has compiled a body of work that to me says, yeah, I, I don't believe he's going to come in and dominate every single time, but I believe he has the chance to, and I believe that more often than not, you're going to get a winning performance, whatever, however you qualify, quantify that, out of Carlos Estevez. Iro Diaz is third on that list in terms of my level of confidence, and that's where I think you go, maybe the answer here, and it's funny because the only one I saw for relievers. Now, our, our old friend Brian Kilpatrick did write in and say the entire 1995 bullpen. And I think that the, like if you could take one unit and replace it, that's absolutely the answer. You replace this current bullpen with the 1995 bullpen, and these Colorado Rockies could challenge for the division. You got Steve Reed and Bruce Ruffin back there with their mid-two ERAs and picking up saves all the time, righty-lefty combo. It would be ridiculous but there weren't a lot of people that came in with steve reed or bruce ruffin or houston street you know to sort of slide oberg down and and then you're doing whatever you're doing with uh wade davis there was one person who brought up and i'm trying to find oh here nick brought up gabe white uh, from the year 2000 where he went 11 and 2 had a 236 era as a reliever um and then again i think you know uh, the question really does become how minute are we getting here in terms of their peak uh, are we taking their you know entire Rockies career, or is it literally like you can pull a guy from out of time, from a moment in time, and I can take him and put him on this Rockies team? Because while Gabe White is an incredibly, incredibly clever answer, and more people should look at that season and be like, what the hell happened here? How did this dude randomly come in here and do this? Um, the one we talked about on our big reliever podcast recently is the guy that I would probably go with along these lines and it's funny because he's not an all-time great rocky in, in terms of compiling stuff and and we talked about it on that but Manny Corpus if you're really going because I know a couple of things for sure about Manny Corpus that I can't be for sure about any other Rockies reliever including can he get it done in the postseason yep 
Can he uh, field a baseball and, and, and make that play in a tight spot? Sure can. And I believe his ERA in, let, let me bring it up again. Patrick and I were running over the numbers, but is even lower than that Gabe White number. And he spent the first part of the year as a setup guy. So while I don't think I could earnestly bring myself to say that if you gave me a magic wand that allowed me to pull a player out of time and put him on the current Rockies, that I would go to September of 2007 and grab Manny Corpus. I part of me does wonder if that would actually be the right answer. Like if that would set things up so much that with Oberg and Corpus, you're basically playing seven inning games. Now you get your bounce back from Freeland and, and you, you know, the rest of the team plays how I think it's going to, but you erase the fact that your closer has got an eight ERA like Wade Davis did last year, and you give him a a two o eight ERA for Manuel Corpus in two thousand seven, and you know I I think you've got yourself an extraordinary bullpen there where. Oberg and Corpus just aren't going to blow it for you. And then you've got the rest of those guys between Estevez, Diaz, James Pazos, who I like. If if Wade Davis bounces back, great. Now you've got three guys with closing ability, and you've recreated the Kansas City Royals who went to back-to-back World Series and won one of them by having those three guys at the back of the pen and having a starting rotation and a position player group that is good enough otherwise to get it done a few star players in there a couple of starters and a, a bullpen who just if you get to the seventh inning and you've got the lead the game is over um yeah i think these are all really interesting conversations to have and, and again i think there are even further layers you could jump into it and start asking like okay so who who is this team gonna play what does the division look like how many games are they gonna play how how would we set it up um you know you know what what would this rockies club actually look like and and how could they do it what i wonder which team in baseball would be most helped by the organization it's tempting to say somebody like the yankees or the red sox who has you know a hundred years of history and some of the greatest players who've ever played the game to choose from but you know they also already have pretty good teams and you know would having babe ruth over Aaron Judge. Is Babe Ruth better than Aaron Judge? Sure. Is he so much better than Aaron Judge over the course of a, a whatever season that that even makes smart, like they'd probably go pitching there, despite the extraordinary number of position players that organization has to choose from? You know, it's it, it would be interesting because, yeah, just replacing a, a great player with an all-time great player is probably not as good for your ability to win ball games as replacing a bad player with an all-time great player or a mediocre player with an all-time pretty good player. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Let me know if this conversation has uh, evolved, uh, how you think about it, if you would maybe change some of the answers uh, given. I'd be very curious to hear what people think or if there's uh, some aspect of it that I haven't 
thought about or looked into or, or some other player who maybe inside of the rules that we're talking about here would make the most sense. But I do think after going through it, I would probably power rank them. Ubaldo won. Uh, um, oh, Walker and Helton. It's just tough with those two because it's not as big an area of need, but you just get so much out of them. So probably Walker two and Corpus three. That's my top three. Those are that's what I would do. Um, so I guess if I was allowed, so if we expanded and said, okay, now you're allowed three players from history to put on the current Rockies, I've added Ubaldo Jimenez to the rotation, Larry Walker to the outfield, and September of 2007, Manny Corpus to the bullpen. Let me know what you think. Thank you, everyone, for listening on. Make sure you're following us on all the social media, at DNVR underscore Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Uh, give a like, a share, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the website, thednvr.com, so you don't miss out on any of our KBO coverage. And otherwise, you're just staying absolutely awesome out there. I will stay absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.